When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Right. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Drew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A podcast that may cause acute horniness, so take in small doses. <laughs> I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, the Celtic warlord most likely to steal up and come up and steal your girl, Andy Bailey. How you been, brother? Oh, man. That was that one caught me off guard. I, I hadn't seen anything pre-written, no jokes, no preparation. Uh, I'm good, man. It's been a great week. I'm excited for the podcast today. Uh, football breaking news never sleeps. We have an awesome interview with uh, Mason Bruce Stafford, Kellen Voss talking ball at the end of this. I'm excited. Yeah, man, me too. A little early morning recording session for me out here in Seattle, but uh, the grind never stops, sir. It'll be coffee instead of beer, and we are going to do this thing. I'd like to open with a take and workshop this with you and, and see if you're up open for it. I'm always welcome to open with a take. Let's set the tone hot. Let's set the, t- the tone, sir. I believe that sports in general are better when there are bad GMs, just bad management in general. Do you agree? I feel like you always need a character, whether that be a show, whether that be just a, a GM that's a little bit incompetent to keep things swirling around. Because if you're running it like uh, Masai Ujiri and t- the Toronto Raptors, it's like, oh, you always make the right decision. Oh, you always do this. Like, now I want some chaos. Like, how much traction did we get out of Dave Gettleman and the Giants? And he ended up being right with all of his draft picks. So Can't it's like, that. it's always good to have the swirl of my incompetence, what you think is just bring some life to the world. 
it is good for the other fan bases to have one that everybody is mocking, to just have absolute management malpractice, and then everyone can look at it and be like, I'm sorry, Bill O'Brien traded DeAndre Hopkins for what? And he's doing what now? Or like the Rudy Gobert trade that's looking like an all-time disaster currently for the Timberwolves. It's fun when everybody else can be like, well, at least it's not my team, and 31 or 30 or 29 of the other teams can just be like, look at this clown over here. That is better for sports. But what is not great is when you are on the other end and it is your team that is the laughing stock. And that's going to lead us into our first point today is that perhaps Michigan was under some bad management. And Jim Harbaugh is returning to Michigan, but it was with not without drama. And let's try and parse through this whole situation that led Jim Harbaugh to returning. Oh, man. Like, this is just, it's so difficult to process. So, we take it back to last year when everything ended and Harbaugh said, I'm returning. I'm done with this. It was a one time thing. So, season wraps up. Michigan does what they do, ends the TCU. And then it starts to get floated out there that, like, these teams could be interested. But it also gets floated out into smaller circles, little quieter ones that Harbaugh wants a new contract to be paid accordingly. All of us are saying, yeah, absolutely. Duh. Like, back-to-back Big Tens, back-to-back Ohio States, back-to-back Pluffs. What more could you want from, like, a sustainability standpoint, the resurrection of the program, pay the man? And then it doesn't happen right away. So Harbaugh starts to leverage his position, you know, taking, like, Zoom interviews. Very, very mild, very tepid, very Zoom interviews, just letting you know, like, there is interest. Like, if you're not going to pay me, other people will. Like, this is how negotiations work. Ward Manuel, Michigan's athletic director for now, sticks to his guns and is like, nope, not going to pay, not going to pay. In comes Santa, Santa Ono, my my savior, our savior, athletic savior, the new president of Michigan, only been on the job a few months, and he's like, no, I'm not letting this happen. So he steps in, handles the negotiations with Harbaugh, I'm sure gave him whatever he wanted, and then he releases the statement that Jim Harbaugh will be returning. We spoke today, and I have informed Ward Manuel. And, oh my God, conspiracy theorists are running wild. This is fantastic. Ward Manuel could not look worse in this situation. All right, so the key detail there, Jim Harbaugh is returning. You touched on the ups and the downs. We were getting all sorts of reports. We even, on this podcast last week, were touching on what appeared to just be some message board unverified stuff. So even we got swept up into it and you and I Mm -hmm. tend to be pretty good with our media savviness. And even we were kind of just looking, probing for what the heck is going on with this situation. But from what we know, you touched on the key points there. Jim Harbaugh will be returning after leveraging his position, supposedly getting offered upward of $20 million. So as far as leveraging your position, Jim Harbaugh certainly did that. But Why was this happening in the first place? Why did it come to this? And you touched on that perfectly. There seems to be a huge disconnect between Jim Harbaugh, the athletic director, Ward Manuel, and President Santa Ono, our saint, Saint Ono, as he shall (laughs) henceforth be known. And that is not a good sign. And it is certainly putting Ward Manuel's job security in question. I tweeted the other day that he was the most fired person in the history of employment. Perhaps that's a little harsh. But the way that this was phrased, man, you're absolutely right. People have latched on to that. I have informed our athletic director and are running with it. And I'm right there because the fact that Ward Manuel allowed it to get to this point. I mean, what does he even do there? 
I mean, other than look like one of the Goombas from the Super Mario Brothers movie, like <laughs> he's he's really good at not having a neck. But other than that, he hasn't he hasn't done anything. It's the biggest issue here is this is uh, an incident that didn't occur in a vacuum. Like you can trace this to the women's hockey uh, issues going on right now with them not being affiliated with the university. You could trace this to what's going on with the Fab Five five banners. Like why isn't stuff being done or like why aren't you fighting this? Like that's an easy PR win. Uh, The mishandling of the Mel Pearson situation last year with the hockey team still having the interim tag on Brandon Narato. Like it's just misstep after misstep after misstep. And he finally fell on his face with hardball like football is the bread and butter of Michigan the bread and butter of Ann Arbor and I believe it wasn't just his salary he was fighting for he wanted all his assistants to get raises as well so maybe he was pissed about that like bringing somebody else I don't know what it was or what his apprehension was but thank God Santa Ono could step in and get the job done otherwise we could be in the market for an entirely different coaching staff that's the way it was looking, and we were talking about, will it matter? Do you just elevate guys from within the staff? Luckily, it does not come to that, but I think there needs to be something done with the athletic director. The fact that this wasn't just a home run, yeah, you pay him whatever it takes with the amount of money that that football team is bringing in and the amount of money that you get from those extra two games, the Big Ten Championship, and then going to the playoffs, like the amount of people that are watching that and just, it's an insane amount of money. So that alone should be like, yeah, you justify your salary so you're penny pinching over a coach that we we can workshop this who would you take right now you can have any coach that exists professional level or college that is alive how many above Harbaugh would you take I mean is it Nick Saban Kirby Smart Bill Belichick and Sean McVay is that the list there, there's the NFL gets interesting. I'll keep it to college because it's hard to translate those guys those guys down to recruiting. But I mean, in college football, you are you're going to struggle to get to five names. I mean, easily going to struggle to get to five. You could say Kirby, you could say Saban, uh, and then you Maybe start to Lincoln reach. Riley. You say Lincoln Riley, but it's like the guy hasn't been able to find a defensive coordinator in six years of success. So it's like there's all I mean, some people would say, you know, they want to reach and say Urban Meyer, but we don't need Gross. those kind of scandals or anything like that. Ryan Day, he was born on third base. I mean, it gets very difficult. Like it's, I, I struggle to get to five names. So it's like, OK, there's a premium position in college football. There's 131 job openings and you have somebody you can't name five better candidates. in. what is the holdup here? Yeah, pay the man what he needs. So the details have not been released. Uh, I am sure there is some type of extension in this. I am sure that there is more money involved. We do not know yet. Things are happening behind the scenes, and it was pretty cloak and dagger. I mean, even John U. Bacon uh, was kind of at a loss for some of this, and we still don't know what's happening because the second story we do need to touch on here coming out of Ann Arbor is a more serious one. We don't know the details of this one either, but offensive coordinator Matt Weiss currently under investigation by Ann Arbor police for what are is known as computer crimes. I don't know really what that means. There's been some lawyers that have chimed in on Twitter that say they're not exactly sure what this means. So we're going to reserve judgment on this one until we know more. But this is also hanging over the program right now, and we don't know the severity of it. Yeah, breaking news never sleeps. As soon as you think everything is going to go back to homeostasis after the Harbaugh announcement, this news comes out. Uh, yeah, don't want to speculate on this one as an ongoing legal matter. Could be nothing, could be very serious. So we'll see where this shakes out. But this could be, I mean, surprisingly, this could be the only coaching turnover within the program, though, which would be very much welcomed. 
Yeah, I mean, we were kind of expecting to lose Jesse Minter again. The fact that he had a rougher showing against TCU might have calmed that down a little bit. But potentially, you know, we'll see what happens with Matt Weiss. But you floated some really good names that maybe we make a move on regardless of what happens with the Matt Weiss candidacy. So some names that uh, that you mentioned. Well, why don't you go ahead? Like some those were really, really well thought out examples. Yeah, so if the Matt Weiss situation, you know, takes a turn, he's no longer with the program, you assume Sharon Moore takes over a complete OC duties, and then you bring in somebody to be quarterback coach and ideally also passing game coordinator. And there are several names out there. The most popular I've seen people is uh, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, trying to get it back under. That name doesn't really excite me as much as it does other people. Uh, names I like more are Dan Mullen, David Shaw. These guys have proven they can develop, have been head coaches as well. So you could also kind of fill that Biff Pogey role with organizational control and like have a, an ear like for hardball too. So I think those are the names you want here but there's a ton of good offensive passing game quarterback focused head coaches or assistant coaches out there that you could bring in and fill this void yeah cliff kingsbury is somewhere over in thailand right now watching a cobra fight a mongoose like he's Respect. he's okay He's over on that deer hunter stuff right now, so <laughs> I'm excited to uh, to see what becomes of him. But I really like the David Shaw, Dan Mullen ideas. I think that bringing in a proven track record kind of guy, whereas, you know, Matt Weiss, that he came under some scrutiny, especially against TCU, some of those goal line decisions. And we did know that he was responsible for play calling on the goal line. And, uh, you know, that one's going to stick with us for a while. So we'll we'll see how this shakes out. But there are names out there that we could replace Matt, White with, Matt Weiss with and not feel like we took a big L on this. Yeah, there's just there's just playing football is too plentiful with good coaches, especially with how in vogue the passing game is and the quarterback position always is. So of all the positions at Michigan could afford turnover and even upgrade, uh, this is one of them. All right, so we've got a lot more personnel things to touch on. We've got some good, we've got some bad. Let's start with one of the lamer pieces of news. Uh, Ayabi Oki transferring. This one kind of took us by surprise. This was a guy that you had pegged as the breakout on the line, thought that he was going to have an outstanding NFL career. I was pretty much with you on that one, but that's a non-starter now as he joins Biff Pogi at Charlotte. Uh, what is this, his fourth school in five years? So immediately goes from a guy that I was like, welcome, he finally found a home to now I'm like, ah, wishy-washy, I don't want him. Fifth school. So this is his fifth school. Um, I mean, I, I see it though. Biff Pogi has been a father figure to him as his head coach in high school. He's really the main reason he came to Michigan. And maybe you don't have a lot of good influences in your life and you're going to cling to the one you do to help develop you into the next level. So if he wants to do that, you know, best of luck to him. I at least understand his reasoning for doing this. This puts a lot on the shoulders of Jalen Harrell. Like, we're going to need a big year from him, going to need him to stay healthy. And Derek Moore and Braden McGregor, now is your time. I mean, we were kind of expecting leaps from them anyway, but now it has to happen because this does impact your depth. This is a dude that we expected big things of, and now it's got to be homegrown. I mean, you can still get some transfers. We still have our Josiah Stewart. Josiah Stewart is another name as well. So I think we'll be all right. Like I expect big things from Derek Moore, but no doubt this one stings a little bit. Yeah, it, it definitely does because you could see the projection next year. Like I always talked about Ben Herbert's strength program to really take him to that next level. But I mean, there's not, I mean, 
when you look at it on paper, like this team had more sacks than the 2021 team, but it's like when push came to shove, really couldn't get a lot of pressure on the outside anyway. So it feels like almost anything could be a positive. And there's just too many good names in that room to feel down about it. You touched on them, the Derek Moore, Braden McGregor, TJ Guy, Guy Island. We're hanging out, baby, not selling that stock. Uh, Jalen Harrell, uh, uh, Eno Eta, Eta, the freshman coming in, very talented, might get another one that's already committed to Stanford right now. He might be switching before the second national signing day. Josiah Stewart from uh, Coastal Carolina. Just a lot of talent in there. You just hope somebody can rise to the top. Yeah, I'm not going to panic about this one. It would have been nice to have him, but kind of a luxury. Uh, the next departure, Jamon Green, not really a luxury. This certainly opens up a cornerback discussion. We thought that he would stick around. I don't know what kind of draft projection he's getting but I'd be surprised if it's above fifth round I I like Jamon Green like I I think he was a really solid player for us he never like excited me he was never in the jersey conversation but I liked him a lot and this certainly creates a void opposite Will Johnson now and uh, I want to have this discussion because I posed something on Twitter and uh, I was laughed at mocked for my discussion so we're gonna we're gonna workshop this a little bit about some of the options we have at the cornerback position Yeah, man. Like, so uh, float your idea out there. I'll let you lead this discussion. Uh, I'm not saying that this is 100% what I would do, but something you could do now that you've kind of been forced into this is move Mikey Sainer still over to the boundary. He's about 5'10", 5'11". I think he's about 5'11". I don't think he gets to six foot, no matter which one of those measurements you're going off of. But he he's sticky enough. He's certainly athletic enough. We know he has the ball skills that I think moving him over there, if nobody else pops, if Jalen Perry or Jaden McBurrows or somebody can't move over there comfortably you know you can do that with Mikey Sainris still and it would be like if you have a really good baker you know you're running a, a, a grocery store and you have an excellent baker and you're like well I don't want to move that baker over you know but we have two bakers we don't have anyone running the checkout register right now like so we're going to move one of these bakers over to the checkout register because we have another guy that can bake some bread but we don't have anybody to cash anyone out that's the way I'm looking at this right now is we know Mikey Sainer still can do it so if he can and you don't have anyone else ready move him from that nickel spot over to the boundary and then that opens up some interesting possibilities and the guy that I mentioned was Keon Sapp who probably you know with his body size 6'1 208 pounds he's listed at you might think free safety but it's not unheard of he runs apparently a 447 11 interceptions in two seasons recruited as a defensive back I don't look at him and think oh sorry he's got to be a linebacker he's got to be a free safety like there's some guys that could move into that nickel role now, this is, this is a fun theory and a fun hypothetical. Like, I, I like where your head's at, trying to solve the solution creatively and moving a chess piece around the board. Um, I am in the I – do, I do disagree. And it's, it's primarily because I look at Mikey Sainer still as the atoner. All right? So, the Michigan primarily is a cover three team, and they use this extra defensive back as a rover. So I wouldn't even call him a nickel back. I'd call him the rover, the Dax Hill position. And he atones for a lot of different sins on the field. He covers up a lot of blemishes, covers up a lot of mistakes, really good in the run game. And I think you keep him there because he can already help out at the boundary. Even saw Dax Hill, his last year, line up at the boundary guarding Samaje Toure when they closed out the Nebraska game. Like, you can float him out there at times. 
But I think by keeping him in that rover position, he has so many more responsibilities than you can teach a first-year player in the starting lineup. So instead of having two unknowns on the field with moving Mikey to boundary, then moving somebody to play arguably the most important position in the secondary, I think you keep Mikey there and you allow him to do his flexible things, move him around like the queen of the secondary on the chessboard. And then you can bring in the McBurrows or the Keon. I love the Keon Sab call. Keon Sab, Zeke Barry, whomever wins that position out there. Jalen Perry, he's still around. And then you do that. So you only have one slightly unknown instead of two completely unknowns. And you keep your MVP in the MVP role. Your point is well taken, and you don't want to take the best baker in the land out of the kitchen. So, all right, if you want to let the baker bake, what are you doing with that other cornerback position? You're just like, it has to be Jair Hill, Jalen Perry, or Jaden McBurrows then, or you need to somehow find a way to get Damani Jackson. So if you have another player that you think has hit, then I like the idea of moving the th- things around a little bit there. Maybe Zeke Barry's the guy you like more than Keon Sapp. That's fine. But these, like the talent that we have is mostly at safety back there. So can you find a way to move these guys around? That That's all I'm saying. And historically in Harbaugh defenses, now we've had a lot of different defensive coordinators, but we've had success at bringing in, it was the Viper under Don Brown. It's the nickel now. We've had success bringing in first-year players. Mikey Sanders still last year was a first-year player at that position. You look back at Kalik Hudson, you look back at how well Dax Hill took to that. Now, maybe those are all just extreme examples of guys that can pick up the position very quickly, but we have had success there. So I, I just trust that track record of bringing in a Sab or a Barry to replace Mikey and moving Mikey out there. But again, it's only if one of those guys doesn't hit. And I just haven't seen any Jalen Perry, Jair Hill or Jaden McBurrows. So that's why my mind drifts to this. I know what we can get from Mikey. And I think like while you look at that and be like, man, we're losing this queen on the chessboard. Imagine if you have to choose to throw at Will Johnson or Mike Sainer still. It's it's definitely an interesting puzzle that you're creating there. Um, the Viper position or Don Brown was a lot different than how, they util- how do they utilize it now? Like it's a lot different using the Rover because Don Brown's guys didn't have to do as much. It was more line of scrimmage safety in sure. the box. Uh, with this one though, they're doing a lot more. And I, I think to like Ohio state specifically, who's going to guard a Buka then? Because that was one of their good keys against Georgia is that slot receiver. And that's where you need the Mikey because he can guard tight ends. He can guard a Buka. He can do a lot of that in there. Uh, the outside corner discussion is interesting though, because we've also seen, you know, people step in like Will Johnson year one steps in immediately contributes, becomes the guy. Very rare, very it, rare. What he did last year. Okay. But you see, you see the people, you see Jamon green finally step up after a few years. So maybe that could be the Jalen Perry route. That could be the Jaden McBurrow route who is injured uh, for most of this season so you see the people grow in the system and then start later so maybe those veterans we've kind of written off understand it more especially being in this defensive scheme for two years now that they can step in and assume it but also you know maybe we get Damani Jackson and it's just champagne problems from here on out yeah, that would kind of take away a lot of our content. Uh, somebody was joking <laughs> on Twitter that like with how good this team is, like all the podcasters are going to have trouble creating content. And I'm like, we'll, we'll come up with content. We'll, we'll have this cornerback discussion until we, we've beaten a dead horse again to this, death. This cornerback discussion is the biggest question mark on a, almost a complete, complete roster. Like it's the lone, it's the biggest question mark on the entire roster, maybe besides kicker. Yeah, and this is uh, my favorite place to discuss, so we're going to get some mileage out of this, but uh, let's take a quick sponsor break. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. 
Breaking news, people. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpets by going to manscaped.com and using the code MMB20 for 20% off and free shipping. Look, I'm a man that knows the importance of a beard. The beard ties the face together like a good rug ties a room together. It's the unifying bridge between chin and scalp. I've yet to see a man's face made worse with a strong beard in my lifetime. And it's the only facial hair that will never go out of style. It's time to tame your mane because no one likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped Pro Beard Kit. All starts with the beard hedger thing is a beast of fixing faces. First off, the cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency. That brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. They have created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. There's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse, easier to damage than your hair on your head. That's why this kit has made shampoo and conditioner specifically designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replete those natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a beard who's brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. Cap off the kit with the Beard Balm Pomade Shape Style Moisturize Tame Your Sculpted Look. Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MNB20. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. All right, coming back, we've got more player announcements. Let's uh, touch on some of the people that have decided to stay with the Maze in Blue. And the apology tour continues for one Cornelius Johnson coming back for his sixth year. He is going to be wide receiver number one. I won't say with a bullet because Roman Wilson exists, but this is a great return for Michigan to have a steady hand at receiver where I was a little bit nervous about what we were bringing back there. But set of of sure hands is really going to help JJ next year. I saw more people bemoaning the loss of Andrew Anthony and then celebrating the return of CJ. And it made me laugh hysterically, like maniacally. I was laughing at home. As you can imagine, you know my feelings. Uh, this is great. Again, apologies to CJ. We'll never write you off in what you're going to do. Probably going to have, you know, 2,000 yards this year to really shove it in our face. That would be so awful if that happened. Um, <laughs> no, this, this is great, man. This is the veteran leadership, the connection with JJ, the biggest moments he really ascends and steps up. And also just a tremendous blocker and leader in the program. He, he and Roman Wilson coupled together make you feel really confident about the future of the wide receiver room in 2023. I think he will probably lead the team in reception yards and catches next year. Um, oh, m- maybe Roman has a big year and gets him in yardage. 
Yeah, Colston Loveland could, but I mean, he's a tight end. What do you think? Maybe in touchdowns, I could see Loveland leading the team in touchdowns, but I could, I think CJ will lead the team in receptions. I think he'll be the primary target for JJ, but there's, there's some names there. It's an exciting group uh, at the skill position. So uh, let's move to the offensive line. This is probably bigger, both literally and for the team. Zach Sinter and Trevor Keegan return. This too deep on the offensive line is. I mean, I'll just say it. It's the best I've ever seen at Michigan. It's the best I've ever seen at any team. It's it's unbelievable. So if you run through the two deep, I mean, this is all hypothetical because this thing could get, I mean, be an amalgamation to any way you see fit, like one to two, and it's going to get sorted out. And somewhere I like to imagine Sharon Moore just rubbing his hands together like Birdman looking at his lineup like, oh boy, what can I deploy from this? So <laughs> left to right, just hypothetically, you'd have uh, Trente Jones, Miles Hinton, left guard, you'd have Trevor Keegan, uh, Giovanni Elhadi, center, you have Greg Crippen and Drake, and Drake Nugent, who actually graded out higher on a PFF scale of unicorns and leprechauns, higher than Olu Oluwatimi. <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. At right guard, you have Zach Zinter, uh, Ladarius Henderson, the Arizona State transfer, and at right tackle, or their right tackle, you'd have Carson Barnhart, and who's the other one? Um, well, I, you did it a little different than I did. I had Henderson potentially as a tackle because I've been hearing. Oh, whispers. yes. I was yeah, going, yeah. I was going off the top of the head. Wasn't even reading the doc, baby. That's how good it is. I mean, there are just 10 vile names. You'd have Raheem Anderson also in the guard discussion. And then yeah. you have the Barnhart, everybody at tackle. So, I mean, but again, that mistake just shows where you can move Henderson. A lot of positional flexibility here. Zenter could play center, but I have no doubt you're going to have the best five out there to start the season. Are we too deep? Do you think we're in danger of losing somebody to the transfer portal? Because a guy like Giovanni El Hadid, like he's just not going to be able to crack it now. And he's awesome. Like that's a really good, useful player. Raheem Anderson's probably going to have to sit another year. El Hadid is the guy that I would watch out for because he's been there for a while. What is this year? Four or five for him? Three. three. Oh, only year three. Okay. Well, I mean, he might be patient enough to stick behind him, but it's, you're not unseating Ladarius Henderson. So he's out there. All right. Who else are you not unseating? Zach Zinter? Zinter or Keegan. Keegan was first team uh, Big Ten this year. All right. So Zinter and Keegan. So there's three. The center discussion is Crippen or Nugent. You and I are, are riding for Crippen, even if Nugent does end up winning that battle. Uh, I'm here for Crippen minutes. So then Raheem Anderson is one of the guys out of that mix. And then it comes down to the Trente Jones, Miles Hinton battle. So one of those guys is going to be the odd man out or Carson Barnhart. Or Carson Barnhart again. I mean, come, it's insane. This is an embarrassment of riches. I cannot imagine the kind of numbers that Edwards and Coram are going to put up should everyone stay. Like, and, and also the depth part of this. We know that in these deep runs, like if we're, we plan on going on again next year, having this kind of depth is so key. We could afford to lose three guys if it comes to that. Now, hopefully, knock on wood, you don't have to come to that, but... This depth is insane, man. I, I can't remember any position group being this strong. And when we do our position group rankings, it's it's probably this with a bullet. Yeah, and this group has the biggest chip on their shoulder coming into the next season because two straight years in a row, you've struggled in the biggest moment of the season. You did not control the line of scrimmage against TCU or against Georgia. So now you have the deepest room. You have the best O-line coach in the country, and you have an edge, something to really motivate and drive you like – 
it's I, I'm so excited, man. The depth is the biggest thing, though, because you know there's going to be injuries. It's inevitable, especially with Michigan, the way the style they play. Like we saw it this year with Keegan going out. We had Jeffrey Percy playing against Rutgers, who played admirably at left tackle. You had um, uh, Carson Barnhart and Trente rotate in and out when Trente got hurt against Indiana. So it's going to happen. But having this depth really makes you feel good that no matter who's in there of the 10 guys, you have 10 capable guys on the offensive line. Chance for the back to back to back Joe Moore Award winners to to really set themselves apart as far as just historical performances from offensive lines. The back to back has never happened. If you get the three P, there might be some like voter fatigue that they're really gonna not wow. want that to happen, but it might be so undeniable that they don't have a chance. I mean, it's gotta be crazy big numbers next year, but everything is in place for that to happen. So going to be absolutely fascinating man and like what is on the table for next year is it's just going to be so much fun man like no matter how this shakes out uh next guy we got to touch on this was the most recent and that is the return of chris jenkins which is joyous news pretty underrated i think that he'll slot in there right next to mason graham and provide some veteran leadership on that defensive line this is another great bring back for michigan it feels like just getting the band back together yeah, a lot of the times last year, Michigan would have the big three-down lineman sets with you'd have Mozzie Smith, Mason Graham, and Chris Jenkins out there, or you would you know remove Mason Graham, and then you'd have Mike Morris up there. So this just allows a lot more. Losing Chris Jenkins would have put a lot of pressure on Rayshon Benny, Kenneth Grant, and those guys to really assume more responsibility. But now you could have lineups of Mason Graham, Chris Jenkins, then either Rashawn or um, – Kenneth Grant and substitute him in and out, not be as relied upon, keep a fresh rotation, having more of a stable of bodies, especially with the departure of George Rooks. So really helps the program keeping a seasons guy like Jenkins. I think he could be one of the breakout candidates for 2023. A hundred percent. This is a guy that could certainly improve his draft stock. And if one of those other guys, be it Rayshon Benny or Kenneth Grant is too good and pushes him to the bench. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, that rotation then is, is really, really potent. And next to Mason Graham, who I think's in for a monster season, you're right. Like you could see a statistical improvement over what you saw from Mozzie Smith, just because Mason Graham might end up being better next year than Mozzie Smith was this year. Like, I don't think that's an insanely high, take Mozzie Smith didn't have a disappointing season but I, I thought it'd be a little bit more Mason Graham has all the tools to have that type of impact and if he's getting double teamed Chris Jenkins could certainly be the beneficiary so you and I we watched the Ohio State game together this year Chris Jenkins was the one constantly penetrating and like causing mismatches inside and Ohio State is some of the best guards in the country and he was giving them fits all day long like it was like every other play we're screaming hold at the TV as fans do of defensive lines so this is a, a very welcome return. He would have caused a, a bigger question mark there, more on lines of like what we're facing at the quarterback position. So having just that experience coming back is tremendous news. So this will be pretty much the team that Michigan is fielding next year. Things could change a little bit. The uh, official recruiting period has not ended yet, so there still could be some some changes there. As you mentioned, the potential flip from Stanford. Uh, Harbaugh and his guys are hitting the recruiting trail hard, according to reports. So there still could be some more recruiting wins. The transfer portal is still viable. People could still enter the transfer portal. But for the most part, this is what we're going to be running out next year, barring some, some crazy changes. Changes. And 
this is the deepest team that we've ever covered. Uh, I think that you mentioned the number one area um, that we're going to probably discuss. And, and maybe I don't even know that it's concerned, but that's like an area that we're not as strong in. Where else do you think this team is maybe? I don't know. Weak is definitely not the right word, but some areas where you're like slightly concerned on this team on the roster. We didn't even mention the return of Michael Barrett at linebacker. So, oh yes, uh, like uh, that position just immediately gets deeper. Um, or I, okay, I'm, I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out your boy Macari Page moving to corner, and then you run out that kind of lineup in the secondary. So, ah oh, man, a, a lot to love here. I think two key battles for this team, like outside of the corner, but kind of in that realm, would be running back three and wide res- and wide receiver three. Although they're not the most pressing, it's like Michigan likes to run that 11 personnel, especially in obvious passing downs with three wide receivers. So who's going to emerge there? Who could be the go-to guy that's always going to get separation, like be the Ronnie Bell reliable safety valve kind of guy? And at running back three, who's going to be there? Like I expect a more... Sp- even split load between Corman Edwards, but injuries do happen. And it's nice to have that third guy in there, whether it's Kaleo Mullings with a full year at running back, whether it's CJ Stokes taking that sophomore leap, whether it's uh, Benjamin Hall, the huge freshman coming in, or Cole Cabana, the massively talented freshman coming in, but is wildly undersized. So who of those guys is going to take it? Maybe it's Isaiah Gash, who just got put on scholarship, deservedly so, for what he did against Illinois. Uh, just a lot of questions there surrounding the depth that I'm just thinking in the terms of if an injury can happen, it probably will happen. And where do we go? I'm with you. So I've got it cornerback number one. I've got it wide receiver just in general behind Cornelius Johnson, because we think Roman Wilson will step into that role. But Roman Wilson was a little disappointing last year outside of the TCU game. I mean, he got it going late, but I'd like to see more out of Roman Wilson uh, running back number three, as you mentioned, and then the uh, the center. Uh, competition is a big one as well who wins out there now we like the depth there so I'm not concerned if it's Crippen if it's Nugent or if Raheem Anderson even slides in there I'm not worried about that but those are probably the areas where you're you're really focused in and then a Yabi Oki leaving does leave uh, some snaps at the defensive end position so there's still some competition happening on the field and I'm fascinated to see how it all shakes out man the cornerback one as you mentioned is really going to dictate what happens like if it is something like that Macari Page moving to corner oh my god I have to get another jersey if that happens (laughs) and we talked about it briefly too like what if Zach Zinter moves into center where he can play and then your interior line you keep Henderson on the inside with Zinter and Keegan flank I mean tons of possibilities here on this team and a lot of like battles to move out i'm already getting excited because like the spring game is rapidly approaching you and i are breaking down depth charts and the second signing day still hasn't happened yet so you still have that to address as well you have transfer portal is still open as we saw last year the transfer portal was open until august when Oki came into the program. So a lot of room, a lot of places. I love that we saw it the same. I'm just like, like breaking it down and looking at the position battles, but it feels like it's an embarrassment of riches, but with the embarrassment also comes the pressure. Like it's yeah. national championship or bust. Like there is, there's nothing else. Like it's national championship or bust. You're 100% correct. And the last time Michigan came into a season with this kind of expectation was after the 2006 season where they returned Jake Long, Mike Hart, Chad Henney. They brought the band back and it did not go as planned. That team uh, certainly, you know, rested on their laurels and didn't come 
equipped for a Big Ten season. I expect this team to come in hungry, especially with the way last year ended. So, man, the, the monster is loose with this team, and this is the best team we've ever covered. Going to be an insanely fun offseason, sir. We may have to try and get up to the spring game again, start making that a tradition. We can do a little Ty Law trampoline world, make, a, <laughs> make an afternoon out of it. Oh, we're definitely getting back to that. It was so much fun last year, just getting the first insights, and uh, maybe this time we'll have one or two less Bloody Mary, so we won't confuse Rod Moore for Derek Moore. No promises, sir. No promises. <laughs> All right, sir. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Let's go to break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist. And if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. All right, coming back, and we have picked up a hitchhiker over the break. Would like to welcome Kellen Voss, one of our favorite human beings in general of maizeandbrew.com, the local basketball aficionado come to kind of parse through this up and down season. Kellen, thank you for being here. Good, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. I've been I've been listening to the pod all throughout football season and stuff, and you guys do do great content, so I'm, I'm happy to be on. Thanks for having me. All right, sir. So... Tell me what the hell to make of this basketball team so far. You lose Jalen Llewellyn, a lot of close games, lots of close games against tier one opponents that really could have set this thing apart. But as it stands right now, only two losses in conference, still a chance to make some noise. What are your thoughts of this team? Give me a 30,000 foot view. Oh, man. Um, I mean, what we saw last year in terms of a roller coaster ride where it felt like you couldn't put together two good performances in a row. Um, with last year's team, you're kind of seeing a similar thing this year where just when they get some momentum and just when it feels like they're, they're, as, con- they're as consistent as can be, you know, they lose a heartbreaker to Michigan State. They lose a heartbreaker to Iowa. They have the they have I think they're all within six points. The, the losses to Virginia and Kentucky and North Carolina. Um, this is, you know. We, we've all watched the games and we see for certain portions of these games, usually for part of a half or something, you'll see them, you know, shoot the lights out and Dickinson's on fire and Kobe Bufkin has been great on both ends of the floor and they, they can dominate any team in the country. But then there's some stretches like what you saw against Central Michigan where they can't make a bucket, they can't defend anybody. This team is incredibly bad at rebounding the basketball. Uh, they don't have much bench contributions. Um, and to have seven losses in mid-January is not a good thing. Uh, the one encouraging thing, I did a column about this last week for Mason Brew. Uh, when you look at the rest of their schedule and add in the Big Ten tournament coming up in about six weeks here, uh, they'll have at least nine to 11 more opportunities to pick up quad one wins. So you'd like to think that these late game struggles are going to get ulti- like completely fixed as the year goes along with this young basketball team. But there's a lot to be concerned about in terms of inconsistencies on both ends of the floor, I'd say. 
Are you optimistic about the outlook, Kellen? Because, I mean, you could have, if you could relate this to football, you have teams that are always close to getting over the edge. In 2021, Nebraska comes to mind. Like, this team was so close, but at the end of the season, you blink, you're three and nine. It's like, hey, we're the best three loss team of all time. Let's hang a banner. Like, how close is this team to becoming that, becoming the team where we're always close? Or do you think they can get over the hump in these next nine to 11 chances to get a quad one win? I mean, it, it 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 really depends on how they respond. I I, I don't want to sound cliche here because we hear it in every single media availability, but it really comes down to a game by game basis. You know, with how good the Big Ten is, you know, Purdue's probably at the top and Minnesota's pretty firmly at the bottom, but everybody else is within a game or two of each other in the Big Ten. So every game is a chance to improve your tournament resume, but it's also a chance to pick up another loss, and it's it's bad for Michigan in that sense. In terms of turning things around, I mean, they have the star power to do it. Dickinson's been down by his standards for most of the year but he's still you know that's because of the fact that he's getting double teamed all the time and his mid-range jumper has gotten a lot better and things like that jet howard is right now legit projected to be a lottery pick with the way he can score with the way he can create off the bounce score at all three levels he's not as consistent in terms of late in games but just to have that punch have that ability um you know to score in bunches like that has been great i think might be a little bit of a hot take, but Kobe Bufkin's kind of been their best player on both ends all year long in terms of how consistent he's been. And you saw in the Northwestern win, he led them in scoring. And, you know, last year's team, the the main concern was always, okay, Dickinson's going to be there. Brooks is going to get you 10 to, 10 to 15 points. Where else is the scoring going to come from? But this year, you know, you have Dickinson, you have Jet Howard will be able to put on a show, but Bufkin's been that consistency. He's The way he's... Last year, he, he played, you know, four or five, six minutes at a time, and, and we wouldn't see him in a lot of games. And now he's their main catalyst and probably their best guard late in games to go to. So just having him, having that talent throughout the roster, it's a young, young team, and that's partially why the late game struggles have happened. But I think they got a lot of things to be uh, happy about in terms of a possible turnaround. So since we last spoke, loss to Iowa at Iowa, beat Northwestern. The Iowa loss, want to start there, 93-84, another really frustrating one that seemed to come down to late game execution, inability to protect a lead, and you waste an absolute gem from Jet Howard. If NBA scouts weren't paying attention, they certainly were after that duel back and forth with Chris Murray. Um, want to talk about that one because it seemed to be systemic of what's happening late in the games. And uh, I, I do want to touch on your Kobe Bufkin point because that certainly is a hot take. But what do you think is causing these late game struggles. Is that on coaching? Is that on personnel? Are we relying on too many young guys? Are we relying too heavily on Hunter Dickinson? Is it more defensive or is it more inability to get a bucket late in game that you see as the cause of these late game struggles? I think it's two things. I think it's personnel wise and I think it's youth. Um, personnel wise, you know, late in these games, you'll often see teams doubling Hunter Dickinson. You'll see a lot of attention towards Jet Howard and a lot of attention towards Kobe Bufkin. And, you know, the other guys that have been asked to contribute in those settings, you know, Terrence Williams, Doug McDaniel, Terrace Reed, guys like that. It's been up and down because it's a lot of young guys who haven't been in those situations in college basketball before. And that's just going to be the case. And um, if you watch the body language of this team, you know, you I know you guys are both Bill, big Bill Simmons guys. He's a big body language doctor in terms of that kind of a thing. When you watch late in these games, like you watch that Iowa game and Peyton Sanford's just going off like he, he, he has that he has that four point play to force overtime. And then he's he's just buckets all down the stretch and buckets in overtime. 
you know, uh, when it rains, it pours for this team when it comes to, to things going bad. You know, you see you see opponents get a few buckets in their end and they start to struggle and it kind of all, you know, it's like a boulder rolling down a hill. Like it's going to get more and more momentum every single with at, the longer it goes and stuff. I'm rambling a little bit here, but I, I'd say that that's, you know, when things when bad things start to happen, they don't really have a lot of that senior experience to be like, look, we can stop this bad thing. Let's get a bucket. Let's get a stop here. Kobe Bufkin's been that guy. But the youth of this team has has really come to show late in these games, I'd say. So when you talk about when it rains, it pours, what is the solution for this team to stop the flooding? Is that coaching? Is that Hunter Dickinson leadership? Is that guard leadership? How would you put a stop to this if you were involved in the program? Or how would you like to see a stop put into it when things kind of start taking a turn and like exacerbate <laughs> further? Uh, somebody needs to take somebody needs to take command on defense. And part of that lies on Hunter. Uh, earlier today, Phil Martelli spoke uh, for media availability with Maryland, and he was saying that Hunter and Terrace Reed are kind of like the quarterbacks of the defense with how much of the floor they can see. They have to communicate more in that role. He said that actually Will Cheddar has probably been their best communicator in terms of defensively, and you <laughs> I do see Andy Fistpump in there in the background. Um, I mean, there's – yeah, like like his, his plus-minus numbers are off the charts. When he's on the mm-hmm. – it doesn't really show up in the box score all the time, but when he's on the floor – they get stops, they get rebounds, they do all, you know, he's, he's just that he's, he's gutsy. He's, he's, he's everything you want in a, in a backup power forward. Uh, but, you know, in terms of your question of being able to stop the flooding, I think it, it kind of has to do with just, just getting more reps in than those late game experiences. A lot of times it's Doug McDaniel, not necessarily taking the smartest shot. It's Dickinson's doubled and we panic. And what do we do now? It's, a turnover and a costly moment for a team that really doesn't turn the ball over that much. So I think just more reps late in these games and, you know, I'd like to see maybe run some more set plays late in the game. It kind of seems like you get the vibe of, okay, just go and just go and cook something with jet or go and go, let's run a pick and roll. Maybe, maybe some sort of set to get jet open or Kobe open, or use some of the simple sets that, that Juwan Howard likes to use early in the game, maybe replicate some of those late in the game might solve it. But yeah, I I think it's just something that will come with time for this young team. And and that's, that's part of the adjustment of playing college basketball, you know, late in February, we're going to see less of these issues happening with the chemistry these guys build. I do agree with you that it's a combination. I'm not going to put it all on coaching. I'm not going to put it all on personnel. Having a Jalen Llewellyn is going to help you a lot late in these games. I don't know how many of them we win just having another senior guy out there, a more veteran guy out there that can come in and kind of calm things down. That helps. If we have Terrence Sharon, Shannon and Jalen Llewellyn, I can guarantee you our record is a little bit different. But with what we have on the roster right now, you're absolutely right. We have to find a way to turn things around in-house with what we have. And I think that you touched on a lot of the key points there. Uh, Hunter Dickinson being better on defense, being a better communicator, and not just his defensive ability like there's a couple games where just his um he misses guys like on switches and stuff late in games so he's not that veteran talker out there on defense if that's got to be Kobe Bufkin because I do agree he's been one of the more consistent guys on defense then so be it that's asking a lot of him right now Uh, but let's kind of talk a little bit through this roster we've seen a little bit more of Terrace Reed and that two-man big look that you alluded to there that has started to show some really good dividends as well and uh some some of the sets that we were running late in that game against northwestern were a little bit more like professional sets you saw some pick and roll stuff and there's a lot of options there so do you think that the two-man big lineup is here to stay and let's also kind of talk about will shedder because i agree i think he's the best connector 
that we have right now, the guy that can kind of do all the little things that this team very desperately needs. So how do you see the minutes kind of shaking out as we move forward this season? I think minutes wise, it'll depend on the situation and depend on the opponent. You know, you're going to guard Purdue late in a game differently than you're going to guard Penn State or Maryland or some smaller basketball teams late in the game. In terms of the Terrace and Dickinson lineup, there's a lot to like about it, man. I mean, you've only seen it in like short spurts. We've seen it in with Iowa game and the Northwestern game. And I don't think it should be a look they use all the time. But Terrace Reed is quick enough laterally to be able to guard some of these some of these forwards in the Big Ten. I mean, we saw in the Iowa game, I think I think. Uh, uh, somebody had a stat on Twitter. I saw Chris Murray only had two points when Terrace Reed was guarding him in, in that, in that basketball game. And that's, and that's a guy who's supposed to be like, like Jet Howard, a, a, a mid to late first round pick in the NBA draft. And that's a freshman big man, like shutting him down in his own, in his own environment. That's, that's incredible. That's something that, you know, we love Hunter Dickinson, especially on this podcast, but you know, it's not something you necessarily would see all the time. Uh, from from him. So, you know, Terrace Reed, he's not Musa Diabate, but he's also not Mark Donnell in terms of his foot speed. He can guard a lot of these big, he can guard a lot of these bigger forwards. He can guard a lot of these scorers. And that's why the lineup works so well. And he, he like Will Cheddar, he provides that energy on both ends of the floor. And that's kind of the spark that this Michigan team has needed late in game sometimes. You saw it against the Northwestern game when Will Cheddar and Terrace Reed were in the ball game. They pulled away in the second half and won that one. Those two guys deserve more minutes because of stuff like that. I love both of those players a lot. I love Terrace Reed. I love his improvement, like especially defensively. He doesn't look lost. He looks a lot more confident out there. So he's moving like with decisiveness. Like he doesn't look uncertain at all. And he's like understanding the offensive game a little bit more too, where he's just going up for dunks instead of like trying to put a, a dream shake on somebody. He's just making a move and going because that's the kind of style he should play with his size and athleticism. And with Cheddar, man, I, I love what he brings to this team because let's call it what it is. He's a try-hard white guy, and I love it so much because he's just bringing that kind of effort that this team needs. They need somebody like that that's just going to like work their ass off and give you that 110%, that Matthew Delvadova kind of energy where you're going to try super hard, and that kind of energy can just ignite a team, especially in these darker stretches. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and with Will Cheddar too, like you saw, you saw if a three go down in the Iowa game, he's got a nice, he's got a nice three point stroke, and and sometimes you just he he's not a veteran per se in college basketball by any means. He's a redshirt freshman, but it's like you see on offense, like he's making the right cuts, he's he's making the right reads in terms of when to go crash the boards and when to get back on defense. He's a great communicator. Uh, Martelli was saying in media availability today, he's there. He, him, Jace Howard, and Kobe are their best three talkers on defense, and you can see that in the games. He's pointing to guys. He's taking guys on back cuts he's boxing out the right guy and, and stuff like that and that little stuff matters you know and he's a good basketball in himself I'm excited to see what he looks like uh with this Michigan team and yeah I mean him and Terrace are gonna play more in these games I think a lot with just this, the, the spark they've provided yeah, Michigan definitely has the star power to make a tournament run with Dickinson and Howard, but do they have those connectors that we've always had on the B-line teams, the Eli Brooks, the Isaiah Livers, if you want to go further back, Muhammad Abdur. Uh, yeah, Muhammad Ali Abdur-Rahman, I was going to mention him. Yeah, that guy That yeah. guy doesn't get enough credit for all the stuff that he did late in, late in those basketball games. In the right, B-line. guys that just come in and do the right thing in these close games, you've got to have one. So Will Shedder, for that reason, I fully agree. And uh, if you want to look at this, positionally Hunter Dickinson shooting 37% from three you could play him as an air quote 
four in that. And that's part of why the lineup. that's part of why the Terrace and Hunter lineups have worked, right? Is that Hunter's much more confident in his mid range ability. He's much more confident in his three point shot. Uh, I wrote about it last year. Hunter Dickinson's an excellent passer. Like he's a really good. He's he's got a nice. He's not Nikola Jokic by any means, but he's got a nice offensive IQ in terms of the the high low stuff. You saw them doing with Terrace late in that Northwestern game. They couldn't. Northwestern couldn't really do anything about it. He's so, a great he, hockey assist guy, where he yeah. like does a really good yeah. job of setting up the pass before the pass. Oh yeah, and he's gotten much more unselfish too. Like when he gets doubled, you'll see he's like scanning the floor and finding the right guy right away now. And that was a process that took a while while he was a freshman, and now it's just kind of instant part of his routine now when he posts up. So, yes, absolutely. So uh, you listen to the podcast, and you know we've had some discussions just on Twitter about the coaching heat that Jawan Howard has taken. I think that you're in the same boat as us. That a lot of that is undue, or to to be correct here that's where you're at right like you're not thinking this is all Juwan Howard needs to go right yeah yeah I mean the I'd say the only the only loss that was a game where Michigan was you know the only bad loss I see so far is the Central Michigan game that's inexcusable to to have to be at home in a game that wasn't even televised it was on Big Ten plus and Michigan lost to a, a bad Central Michigan team that was like four and eight in the Mac and all that all that stuff that's a bad loss but you know, this coaching staff, it's a young team. I think that they're getting a better gel of what their roster is and stuff like that. I, th- I think things are coming along, but you you guys see it as much on Twitter as, as much as I do. Every time Michigan loses, it's like, oh, what? It's, it's Juwan's fault. I don't think that's necessarily the case. He's working with a freshman point guard in the Big Ten, one of the best conferences in college basketball. They're still very much in a good position to make the tournament. Like, I'm, I'm not as concerned about it as, as a lot of Michigan fans I've seen online, so... So, all right. So we're going to workshop this. We're going to come up with the top three concerns facing this team. We're going to determine if they're personnel or if they're coaching related. And then we are going to debunk the Juwan Howard was born on third base claim. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe, maybe we'll decide that there is some merit to that. Are there, are there so, people what, saying that the Juwan Howard was born on third oh, base? Yeah. Who, uh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like it either, because if we're going to say that, like, wouldn't Hubert Davis and uh, who's yeah, the yeah. Duke coach? I mean, th- n- neither of them are exactly, you know, blowing things up right now. So, like, was North Carolina's uh, championship appearance last year? Was that born on third base? Like, it's too early to dis- to say what's Juwan Howard and what's John Beeline. So I agree. But let's kind of workshop this. So uh, we're going to go. Tell me what you think, Kellen, is your number one concern. Then we'll go to Andy and then I'll give the third concern. We'll see if we all agree. So what is the number one concern facing this team right now? Huh? I I think if we would have had done this podcast a few weeks ago, my number one concern would be bench and depth scoring. But that that was a large reason why they won their Northwestern game. So I'm not going to say that. I'll say rebounding. This team sucks rebounding wise. It's 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 irritating how much they suck because they have a seven foot two guy in Hunter Dickinson who's always around the basket. And they they got out rebounded by Ohio and they got out rebounded by Central Michigan in that loss. So it's like way, way too often you've seen teams go with small lineups like Maryland, Central Michigan went to a small lineup, Penn State went to a small lineup, and it's worked in bunches for a lot of these basketball teams. And so that is something that confers that that um, worries me down the stretch is that their 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 rebounding concerns are going to continue to pop up all year long because it's been a it's been a consistent problem for this team. What would you say, Andy, is a is a big concern for you? 
Uh, rebounding definitely because I feel like I mean that can be coached and emphasized. That can also just be effort on the court, like having yeah. guys come back and get the ball. Like this isn't a huge transition team, so I don't really understand the disparity, especially against these MAC teams. And when people are going to smaller lineups, we should be punishing them on the glass. That should be our opportunity. Um, I think for me it would be uh, perimeter defense. Like I always feel like there's a guard or a small forward just going off against this team. People are getting lost, and it's happened too many times now to be ignored where just like somebody gets super hot. Like you could write one off as like, you know, it was their night, but it happens every night. Like some guard is going off, somebody's going off, and it's just like we need to have somebody out there that can be a stopper on the perimeter. Otherwise, we're going to run into some mid-major team if you make the tournament that has one good three-point shooter that just is ends up being our undoing. That's a great one. Both of those are good points, and the stats back those up. We are currently number 210 in the country at scoring defense, allowing Whoa, 7 points. 210. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, terrible. It, it's pretty rough, but uh, I would say the third uh, issue that I'll go with is perhaps even more glaring. Michigan is number 309 in the country in bench scoring. There's only 352 eligible teams, and some of them are like the Richmond Spiders and like the Maryland Academy of Baking. Like yeah. that is an aggressively bad statistic, and you alluded to it, Kellen, that we expect that to maybe start to to you know, maybe turn the right direction with Will Shedder and Terrace Reed getting more minutes and the lineup starting to be tinkered with a little bit here. But as it stands right now, that is aggressively bad. And guys like Joey Baker, who is expected to come in and be probably your primary bench scorer, has just really not lived up to expectations. So finding somebody on that bench unit that can come in and get buckets when Howard and Dickinson and Buffkin are sitting is going to be crucial down the stretch. Yeah, like you touched on, I mean, it, the the bench lately has been good. You know, in that Northwestern game, Baker had seven points off the bench. Terrace Reed and, and Will Cheddar were doing their thing. Baker, you know, I think we're we've kind of gotten we've kind of gotten spoiled as Michigan basketball fans in that we'll see guys like Nick Stauskas and Duncan Robinson, and you know. On the surface, you view them as three-point shooters, but when you actually watch the game, you know, they're pulling up and getting their own mid-range shot. They're they're faking out and going to the basket. We haven't seen much of that from Joey Baker. I guess he's been able to do it a little bit when the when the, you get the, the defense swing and the momentum of the defense a little bit, but he's really just been a pure shooter that kind of needs someone else to generate a look for him. Uh, part of that has been, you know, with the Llewellyn injury, Doug McDaniel starting at the point guard. Kobe Bufkin's kind of been point guard when Doug McDaniel's been out. And so that, that's that been kind of up and down. It's a little bit more consistent now in terms of finding those guys and finding those shots. But, yeah, I mean, Jace Howard is probably, you know, gets a lot of DNPs and is mostly kind of just – I view him as a defensive, you know, stalwart in the defensive in – the, in the second unit. Um yeah, the bench scoring is is going to be a concern that's going to bite them in the butt if, if if you know we don't continue to see Cheddar and Reed make improvements. So, not yeah, to mention, it, ju- uh, I'm sorry, Jared. Not to mention just like the inconsistencies of it. Like when you see it against yeah, Michigan yeah. State, when they just they can't, you couldn't buy a bucket in that game. So mm-hmm. like that's one of the like most frustrating things. Is Baker could be very streaky. Like he had seven points off it in this game, but. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a goose egg against Maryland. Like it's the up and down nature. There's no just steady, calm hand coming in in the second unit. Right. You know, yeah, there's I, no I such. Think we said yeah, a few yeah. Podcasts. 
yeah, we said a few podcasts ago that he's a one in four games, like one in every four games, you're going to get a Joey Baker game. And as of right now, that's kind of stood the test of time. So we'll see moving forward. Uh, None of us, none of us mentioned uh, defensive, like closeouts, defensive rotations late in games, which we mentioned earlier as being a problem. I think that's because maybe we all see that as something that's fixable, like the defensive communication late in games. I think that's just young players. Do you agree? Yeah, it's young guys, and it's something that's gotten better as the year's gone along. You know, I think they've gotten a lot better at, at talking things through and, and, and doing little things like grabbing the rebound and someone going out as an, as an outlet to get down the floor and transition and that kind of a thing. I, that, and that just comes with chemistry. That just comes with playing with guys late, later on in the season. I think that just that just comes along, too. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that yeah. that's, that's the main thing. So. Yeah, so let's uh, let's workshop this. Jawan Howard might have been born on third base, which uh, I think we all disagree with, but there might be some merit that at least needs to be discussed. So players that Jawan Howard inherited from Beeline, Isaiah Livers, Xavier Simpson, Eli Brooks, Teske, Brandon Johns, Austin Day- Davis. Franz Wagner was recruited by Beeline, almost lost him. Jawan Howard had to jump in last minute in order to secure the Franz Wagner recruitment. So he does get credit for that and any player development stuff from that. So looking at some of those early teams, clearly the John Beeline footprint was evident. But how much of those early runs, the Elite Eight, and then last year's Sweet 16, how much of that is Beeline? And then how much of that is Juwan Howard? So we're going to try and workshop this. Kellen, I give you the floor. Um, you know what? Uh, Beeline was an, is an incredible head coach, an incredible coach in college basketball. Just got inducted into, I think, the College Basketball Hall of Fame earlier this year. Uh, he's, you know, holding him and, you know, he left a, he did leave a, a lot for, for Juwan to work with. I, you know, Juwan deserves credit for getting that team in the elite eight and then getting that team, getting that God awful basketball team last year, the sweet 16. Juwan does deserve credit for that. My number one concern, if, if we're going to play this game, my number one concern is in Juwan's time at, at Michigan. I don't think a lot of guys in the program are, are getting better. You know, you look at guys who were on the roster last year, and I really think the only one that's improved from last year's roster to this year is, is Bufkin. Bufkin's gone up significantly on both ends of the floor. He's more confident. He's he's the best. He's probably their best on-ball defender. He shut down Tony Perkins in that Iowa game. But Dickinson is is kind of plateauing a little bit as defenses learn how to handle him. T. Will's been struggling all year long, really. I mean, it seems like a confidence thing with him a lot of the time. Uh, we haven't seen much of Jace Howard. I, I'm just, you know, you're you're encouraged by what you see out of guys like Cheddar and Reed and Doug McDaniel this year in terms of developing as the year goes along. I'm just worried about that long-term development for this Michigan team. And so I think that that's probably my biggest concern. I think so too, because at first it seemed like Howard was coming in and was kind of going with like the John Calipari style of coaching where I'm going to recruit talent. I'm going to out talent you because I personally don't think Calipari can coach a lick. And there's other coaches out there that completely maximize their rosters. You think of people like Scott Drew at Baylor for a great example, like like he is adapted in the best way where he can develop players, but he can also recruit at a high level now because of what he's built and shown he's capable of doing. So I think Howard's biggest thing is he needs to like embrace a philosophy and develop a team identity because right now I don't know what this team leans on or how he's trying to build and structure the program for the future. 
That's a great point. And guys like Jay Wright as well that just seem to get more out of their roster. And with the amount of talent that's on this roster, just looking at ESPN and 247 composite stars, you would expect a little bit more in the player development uh, side of things. And that's where I wanted to touch on as well, because as a coach, I don't know enough about X's and O's. I know that he spent a lot of time with the Miami Heat and he's got like that professional influence. And you can kind of see that like late in the Northwestern game, there was some pro sets being run in that. But the player development thing, I think, is worth touching on. So I've got the top three wins and the top three losses. And I want to see if you guys agree. So player development wins under Juwan Howard. I got number three, a tie between Jet Howard and Shonday Brown. Let's see what happens there with Jet Howard. But uh, Shonday Brown coming in had a better season. Where did he transfer from? Was he like Wake a Wake Forest, Forest guy? Wake I mean, Forest. Yeah, yeah, he transferred. Wake Forest. And yeah. came in and had his, yeah, had his best year. So at number three, I've got a tie between Jet Howard and Shonday Brown. What do you guys think? I think that's a I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, Shawnee Brown is what we were hoping that Joey Baker was going to be this year, and he he just hasn't been that. The amount of impact that that guy had off the bench, both ends of the floor, as a spark plug for that Elite Eight team, I I I miss watching Shawnee Brown play basketball consistently. I do, so I agree with you, Jared. Yep, I I love that placement. I love Shawnee Brown. You know my feelings. I wish he would have come back for you know one more year because of what he could have brought to last year's team would have just been ridiculous amounts of dividends. So no, that's a great place. And Jet could uh, only continue to ascend from here after that thirty-four point performance against Iowa. Yeah, I would poison like a lesser uncle to have Shonday Brown on this year's team. Like We could really use him. Uh, at number two, I've got Dickinson, and this is a tentative one. This could go up. This could go down. I don't think it's going to go up to the number one spot, but it could sh- it could certainly fall. Dickinson got better last year, and now, like you mentioned, Kellen, has plateaued. He has gotten somewhat better at, at areas like defense and rim protection. He's gotten better as far as becoming a three-point shooter, but there's been no, no progression as far as off the bounce no progression some progression in leadership no progression as far as like being a defensive leader on the floor so I've got Dickinson here at two just because I don't know who else to put here but it's with a with an asterisk I mean we love Dickinson his freshman year and how he came out of the scene as dominant as he was but really the only ways he scored his freshman year if we're being honest are dump down passes easy offensive rebounds and right hand hooks and that was the only thing that he could do and he would get like almost 20 points a game doing that but now you the development that you've seen with Dickinson under Howard where he can he he can hit the mid-range and you and you feel like it's going in he can hit the three-pointer make a three-pointer and then do that thing where the the three in between his legs the Tyler Hansbrough like you know this guy's you know the 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 thing that people hate Hunter Dickinson for doing all that stuff is is great for Michigan when it's working because it gets that you know it makes the team energetic and stuff like that good passer improved as a defender but still not what you'd want to see as a as an anchor of the defense as a rebounder in the seven as a seven footer but yeah I I mean Juwan Howard the stuff he's been able to do with him offensively has been good you got to give Dickinson some credit for that too for working as hard as he has so I think we're going to learn a lot about Hunter Dickinson's development where he's at with this second game against Maryland because he was dominant in the first game. I believe it was like 32 and 12 and was just maybe one of the best games of his Michigan career. And I want to see the counter that Maryland throws at him to take him away because we've seen doubles. I wish the team had developed, you know, at least four or five better counters for some of these double and triple teams because it's only going to get harder when you're running into bigs like Ed and Purdue down the stretch. So I think we're going to learn a lot about Dickinson because Maryland 
Maryland does not want to get embarrassed again. It's in College Park. So this is a good opportunity for him to ascend this list. But like you said, Jared, this is a very tentative positioning, and he could go up or down throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm waiting to to make my final determination on Hunter Dickinson because if we get hot and you know he leads us to another Sweet 16, that that's a pretty good run for mm-hmm. Dickinson. Even if, like I've said many times, he'll never be a personal favorite of mine. Uh, at number one player development win, I think this is with a bullet. I think it's Franz Wagner. Now he doesn't get credit, Juwan. That is doesn't get credit for what Franz is doing currently in the NBA, but he does get credit for Franz's development throughout that season and what what he meant to that team on that run. This was a guy that was at times running the point for us. He was defending the best wings. He was defending fives at times. So uh, Franz Wagner is the best player development win under Juwan Howard with a bullet. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd say that's pretty obvious. You know, you guys like Caleb Houston and Jet had the upside to be that guy, but just never really we we had we never we never really saw the leap with Houston, and we're kind of starting to see it now with Jet. So I'd say tentatively, yeah, Franz is the number one in that. Uh, this is big. I'd also like to uh, point out uh, Eli Brooks as a win for him as player development yeah. wise, because although he didn't recruit him, he really upped his points per game like season to season. And then, I mean, gave him the confidence to have the Brooks hook to beat Tennessee in the second round of the tournament. So I think Eli Brooks becoming like the player he did when he left Michigan is also a good win for Juwan. And I uh, think if you're going back be- to oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and that could be you bump Jet Howard because Jet Howard just came in like this. But then also, like, who was teaching Jet Howard his entire life? So it's hard to, you know, it's hard to say. But sorry about that, Kellen. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to mention with you mentioning Eli Brooks. I think he, he, I, you know, I think he deserves some credit for how much better Musa got offensively last year. Defensively, sure. Musa was always there. He was always the better weak side defender. He he could guard, you know, he could guard big men, and that's why he's been doing well for the Clippers G League squad this season. But um, he, he he was he was he was almost he wasn't a zero on offense, but he was close to it at the beginning of the year, and and then towards the end, he was you know leading the break in transition and was was doing had some post moves and and had a little mid range that he would do sometimes. And and Juwan deserves some credit for that for that offensive you know, development there and, and, and guys like Saudi Washington do too. So I, yes. And I agree. And let's also not forget that, you know, he's getting dinged here for losing Diabate and Caleb Houston, which I think had a lot to do with NIL stuff. How does this yeah. Diabate is there with another year and he's developed and all of a sudden our rim protection and we're number 30 in defense, you know, because a guy like that could really, really change the blueprint of your defense. So let's keep that in mind as well when we're talking about him. Uh, and as we move over to the losses that Juwan Howard has taken in player development, and I'm doing that with some air quotes because not all of these are are genuine L's, but I'm going to start at number three and let me know if you guys agree, uh, agree, disagree, if you had somebody else, but I got Caleb Houston as a player development L once again, you know, getting dinged because Houston should have come back for another year. He should be there right now. And that would again, change this team. Imagine a rotation of Houston and jet Howard. That's, that's quite potent actually, but Caleb Houston last year was just a disappointment. Andy and I were just not a fan of the level of intensity that he brought seemed to be kind of afraid of the moment and didn't really progress as the season went along. Like can't look at any game in the big 10 tournament or even in the NCAA tournament where you're like, oh man, thank God for Caleb Houston. There was the one game where he came out and, and hit a couple threes in the first half, but largely forgettable. What do you guys think, Kellen? I, I agree with you. I mean, he he was, you know, 
he, there'd be some games where he'd get up to 15, 17 points with the volume of shots that he got up. But to me, it always just seemed like a confidence thing. I mean, he was always confident in the fact that he was always shooting, but like early in games, body language wise, you'd see him miss a shot. You'd see him get blocked and there'd be like 15 game minutes pass. And it's like, has Caleb Houston been out there? And it's like, you know, you, you almost forget that he's, that he's been out there at times. So yeah, just having him on this team as another guy that Dickinson could, could kick to off of, off of doubles with Jet Howard would, would be amazing. But yeah, I'd say Houston, Houston, I, I, he, he had a lot of hype to live up to, but he, he didn't live up to it. The, Caleb Houston is like had the confidence of a sixth grader asking out a senior. He was just like yeah. <laughs> such a such a cold hot pocket of a recruit. It's like I have this awesome hot pocket, but it's freezing cold. Like, I never a Caleb Houston guy. Like he just didn't possess the intangibles I like in any kind of athlete. And it's like, oh great, he could be back, and we could have another guy that could be inconsistent from three. We already have that in Joey Baker. So what's another one of these? So yeah, Caleb Houston might have just been a more recruiting miss, but still, regardless, misses all around on that one yeah it's just a big miss he had the confidence of michael Sarah entering a mr universe pageant like wasn't gonna happen with caleb houston uh my number two player development l this is a very recent one and this one could change but right now i got terrence williams the second Ter- terry two sticks who i thought was going to be that connector this year the guy that this he was recruited by howard he was one of those guys that you hope sticks around grows within the program and becomes that leader that you need in close games that does all the little stuff stuff he has not been that whatsoever and I don't really know what Terrence Williams does that you're like yeah he has to be on the floor right now like he's almost getting played off the floor because he's just not bringing much to the table what do you think I mean I I agree with you 100% on that front we're seeing a lot of the same stuff from Terrence Williams that we saw with Brandon Johns last year from a confidence standpoint in terms of not just worrying about him not necessarily improving, but now with Terrence Williams, you know, Cheddar's coming on. They play the two big lineup all the time. Like he has to be, there has to be a little thing in the back of his mind when he's playing like, Oh no, like if if I make a mistake, I'm coming out right away and I might not see the floor again for a while. That does a lot to a guy from a confidence standpoint, but yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't really shown any, any progression since last year when he was, you know, probably one of their better bench guys, but that was really all you could say about him. My advice to T. Will is if you're afraid of getting pulled out for a mistake, uh, box out on a GD free throw. It's not that difficult. Um, Yeah, the only reason Will Cheddar is on the court over Terrence Williams is two-part. It's one, the cerebral, the mental aspect of the game. Cheddar is just far more knowledgeable and just pays attention on rotations. And two, it's just effort. That's the most disappointing thing about Terry Two Six is just the effort out there is piss poor most of the time. And when he came back into the game to close out Northwestern, I don't know – why maybe it was ball handling with the press but i mean well yeah because they had the two big lineup before that yeah yeah i mean they had but why not put joey baker back out there for the free throws at the end of the game yeah that's that's yeah that's a that's a good point i i I don't know i think because they had the two big lineup and they were thinking that t will could be the easiest press breaker because because he's been in the four in that row but he almost threw the ball away a couple times in that moment too yeah so I don't know the positive he's bringing, man. So honestly, Jared, this one could go up because like last year you saw it in flashes. Like he's bringing a lot of good energy. This is good. Maybe he should revert back to a bench role to be the primary offensive weapon in some of those sets. I don't know what it is, but it's been a colossal disappointment. I don't know if I want him being the primary offensive weapon in any set right now. He is shooting 29% from three and he is shooting, what is it? 36% 
from the field. Like, I don't want that Not guy good. initiating. I don't want that guy initiating anything. And to quote Jamal Williams, there's some dogs in the street. If you're a puppy, stay on the porch. Right. <laughs> might, be, might be time for T. Will to go back to the porch for a little bit. And I, I kind of agree. Uh, I would move him to number one, but my number one player development L is hard to take away here. The inability to develop a homegrown guard. Now, Kobe Bufkin might shed this, but I'm talking more in particular a point guard. There has just there has not been a homegrown Jawan Howard point guard that's shown the ability to lead a Big Ten offense, and he's had to do a lot of patchwork stuff. Now he doesn't he shouldn't get knocked for all of this um, because there's been some some weird transfers, some weird recruiting misses and stuff, and. It's difficult to get a point guard to come in that's good enough to run a Big Ten offense, but not good enough that they're going to get drafted. But there just hasn't been one to speak of under Juwan Howard. So I, I'm open to the discussion of moving T. Will to number one. But Kellen, what do you think about the inability? To no, I think guard? that that's that. I think that's a fair number one. You know, when you when you talk about the things that are positive about Juwan Howard as a coach, Juwan Howard as a recruiter is probably the the number one point. You know with with uh, I think he was the one that was convincing Mike Smith to come you know convincing Devontae Jones to come and then now with Llewellyn that's three years in a row where they've gotten a quality point guard out of the transfer portal and that's been great for the short-term success of this team long term it's a little concerning that they keep relying on that to get an answer at point guard and you saw it last year with Frankie Collins I mean we don't know this for a fact but you'd have to think that I mean Llewellyn came in and they announced the Llewellyn transfer on a Friday and then Collins entered the transfer portal like 24 hours 24 hours later so you'd have to think that that kind of a thing if you're a young guard concerns you for Michigan uh, I think this is the part where we have to give Doug McDaniel some credit he has uh, he has gotten a lot better as the season's gone along in terms of 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 slowing things down and, and being a little bit more in control you know he had his career high um, in that in that Northwestern game of 17 points uh, was was huge down the stretch of that game he could be the one that breaks the mold and is that homegrown point guard for Michigan. But so far, yeah, we, we haven't seen it. And it, it's a little concerning that we haven't seen it at this point. So, Yeah, especially the last two years have been super disappointing because Mike Smith, I thought, was like, okay, we're going in the right direction. We're bringing in these one-and-done guys. And then you got Devontae Jones, who was wildly inconsistent and loved fouling people 40 feet from the <laughs> basket. That was frustrating. And then you had Jalen Newell this year before his injury was shooting uh, – an anemic 19% from three. And that was supposed to be what he does best besides just being that senior leading calming presence on the court. And you know, Kellen, I'm with you. Like it kind of came back to bite uh, Jawan in the ass a little bit with the Frankie Collins departure, Benedict Collins, as we refer to him on this podcast. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very been underwhelming, but I'm also with you in the praise of Doug McDaniel, who's been very good late in games. A lot of the times, like I thought he was going to be the one to salt away the Iowa win, hit some clutch threes late, but the team was still unable to do it, but he's shown some flashes and especially for someone assuming a role they were never supposed to be in this year. Yeah, you yeah, see the I Penn agree. State, yeah, the, the the Penn State game where he hits where he hits the floater to to help him to, to be the nail on the coffin in that standpoint. The opening game against Minnesota where he had 15 points. He's getting more and more confidence with each conference game, and it's it's hard to have a freshman point guard in the Big Ten and do well. But yeah. and, and that's part of the reason why they've had seven losses and have struggled late in games is because of that freshman point guard. I'm I'm sorry, Jared, I cut you off. But what were you? <laughs> no, no, you you're there? totally you're totally fine. So can we maybe come to a group consensus that yes, there's some player development losses, there's some wins in there, but I'm at the standpoint of there's not enough data yet. We need more data. Like he hasn't had guys that have been there long enough. Literally since his his first year there, the only guy still there is Terry Two Stick. So it's really just one guy that we're looking at and being like. 
yeah, he brought him in. That was his guy and he hasn't developed. So yeah. I just need more time. I need more data. Do you guys agree? Like it's too early I, to I, say. I, yeah, I agree with you. And I'll say this to end it. Um, the, the, this is a new world of college sports in terms of the transfer portal and NIL and all that stuff. And I think that Jawan Howard's done a good job of navigating all of that. You know, it says a lot that he's been able to go and get these point guards out of the transfer portal, go and get Joey Baker out of the transfer portal. The, the fact that he's, he's, he's embracing it as opposed to some of the old guard of college basketball, not necessarily embracing it. That's a good thing for Michigan moving forward. It's just what happens when those guys are in house. It's a little concerning to me. But yeah, I, I that, that I would say that yeah, the development of the young guards has been the number one concern so far. But Buffkin and, and McDaniel could prove us wrong. So absolutely, and that's something we want to be proven wrong about. And I think the one thing Juwan Howard, above anything else, can hang his hat on is the postseason. Like he has been exceptional in the postseason, taking that team to the Elite Eight. Should have gone beyond it if we could have just scored fifty points. Would have been nice. Uh, last year, the upset over Tennessee, like you said, Kelm, that team last year was just flat out not good. Like they had no cohesion. It was up and down all season. I think this team is still better than last year's team. I see more, I'm more optimistic because of Jed Howard, because of Hunter getting better, and we're finding out rotational things earlier than we did last year. So I think as long as Jawan Howard can like keep that postseason success like sustained for this year and then hopefully improve the regular season next year, then he's going to keep all of his detractors to the side. For sure. For sure. Good, I agree with you 100%. Good stuff, fellas. Good stuff. I want to end this with predictions. How far does this team make it, Kellen? What do you think? You know what? Um, I think this team ends up winning. Um, I, I think the team ends up winning a few games they're not supposed to. They've kind of hit a good groove the last few games. Uh, they got some tough tests coming up uh, with, you know, uh, at Penn State, at Northwestern, at Rutgers, those are some games you kind of got to win to make the to make the to make the tournament. I think they do end up barely making it, just like we saw last year. And then I'll say I'll say second round they get to. I'd say second round loss is, is what they get to because I think the youth at the end of the day is going to come to bite this team in the butt still. Uh, so I'll say they make the tournament, win the first, get upset in the first game, and and uh, lose in the second round. Yeah, I think this team can uh, compete for 20 wins this season, which would be fantastic from where they're at right now. I believe, was it 12-7 and seven right now? So I believe they can you know, keep it going, get or 10-7, and seven, excuse me. They, they can get some wins they're not supposed to. They can really just like up, pull an upset here because you think about in a lot of these games, like how close they've been, and we talk about the progression we're seeing from the freshmen. So theoretically, they should be getting better at the end of some of these games as well as the season progresses. I know I'm not saying they're going to topple Purdue or anything like that, but like I said, maybe like pull one off, another one off Northwestern, get the sweep, sweep Maryland, get one of the ones over Rutgers. So I think they can do that. And uh, I'll say I'll just be I'll be the optimist as I often am. I'll say Sweet 16. I think they could get maybe pipe, pull a favorable matchup, get something going, the freshmen develop, take another step we don't see them taking this year, and get to that next round. But once you get to the second week into the tournament, it gets a little tougher. Yeah, there's just too many good teams out there this year. I, I agree with both of you. I think we've got a run in us. I don't know if that's going to be during the Big Ten tournament. I don't know if we'll get hot 
during the NCAA tournament, but there's a run in there and I could see us barely making the tournament, but just not enough horses in the stable to make too deep of a run this year. I, I think elite eight is just out of the question unless Jet Howard just goes super cyan. He is averaging uh, 40% from three on volume and increasing volume right now uh, could be a, a top 10 lottery pick, but I agree with everything. Boys, this was a productive and constructive discussion. Kellen, thank you for coming on, sir. Where can we find your work? Well, thank you guys for having me. Like I said, big fan. Um, you know, I, I, I write for uh, Maze and Brew. Uh, at this point in the season, I'm writing pretty much at least one article a day. Uh, so the grind, the grind doesn't stop. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kellen, K-E-L-E-N underscore underscore Voss, V-O-S-S. Tweeting about Michigan games, tweeting out stories, retweeting Maze and Brew stuff, retweeting your guys' podcast feed. And um, yeah, again, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, brother. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter, at Maze and Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy and Kellen. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.